Me and my other friend carried on drinking. At the end of it, I said, I'm going home. And he was like, look, leave your bike, get a cab. And I was like, no, I'm driving it. <laughs> and I ended up riding it. As I pulled off, straight away, police come behind me. So like, I just dropped the gear, shot off up the high road, come to the bend way too fast in Chesham. And like, the bike started snaking, threw me off. And that's where the arm took the impact. I went down into a 16 foot ditch. They come to me and they're like, Chris, look, this, this has got sepsis. You, you can't do nothing. They wheeled me down to the operating theatre. Obviously put me under anaesthetic or whatever it is, go to sleep and then come out and I've got no arm. I was clearly depressed. I wasn't this depressed where it, it, it was, I wouldn't talk to anyone. Like, that's real depression. I'm selling drugs again. I started up again. I've been up for two days on the bender. It got heated. I got nicked for false imprisonment, black man, section 20, and gave me a 10 and a half year EDS at the time. But when I started getting into fitness, that helped with the depression. I was getting mental clarity from it, I swear. Like, I kept doing this thing that I didn't like at first and continued to do it even though I didn't like it. And what I was building was that not only self-confidence in myself because I'm doing, keeping my promises and commitments, but I built this discipline, like, that I probably never had in my whole life. They say sometimes your biggest gift comes disguised as your worst nightmare. And yeah. I definitely feel that like, this has been a thing that has changed me, like in a way where now I'm in a position where I accept it, not only embrace it, like I used to hate it. I wouldn't come out for two years with it. Now I, I, I'm, I'm been modeling for an agency to show that actually Incredible. I love this person I've become Although it wasn't by choice, but now I'm in a position where I no longer care what others think and I'm the validation comes from within now. Car choose, why not have everything? Fresh dough, Italian tomato sauce, 100% mozzarella and unlimited toppings. All fast fired for 180 seconds, you can hardly go wrong. Fireway Pizza, delivered straight to your door. Fireway Pizza. Design. Fire. Eat. And for a 20% discount, use your KRMTV20 discount code. Link in description, guys. Yes, people, welcome back to Care and TV. Today, delight to have a, another excellent guest on someone who's got the most inspirational story. Today, delight to have Chris Baker on. Chris, how you doing, brother? Yeah, I'm good, mate. How are you? Very well, thank you. So, um, thank you very much for the opportunity, starters. Um, you've got the most insane story. So, like I say, I take my hat off to you for the stuff you're doing today after all the experiences you've been through. But um, let's go back to the start of your journey, if possible, yeah. and talk a little bit about your childhood, family settings, school. Yeah. Um, where did you grow up and talk to me a little bit about your family and school and how you got on? Yeah, so I was born in like Edmonton. Uh, I grew up in Enfield. At first, it was like from what I can remember, it was just me and my mum. We lived in like a high rise block on the sixth floor, and it was just me and my mum. My dad weren't about, he was in prison, and like, yeah, things were all right. Um, we lived in a council flat, but it was good. It was just me and my mum. I, I enjoyed school, like every little kid wanted to play football all the time. And yeah, I was just just a normal, boisterous boy, just getting on with life. Um, so what really started happening, like, 
for me, my mum met someone. He was all right. I got on with him. Um, it was just us three for a bit, like when I was about five, I think. Then my dad started calling. <laughs> Um, and he was he was in prison saying he's gonna be coming out, and I didn't know he was in prison at the time. So like, my mum's partner kind of faded away, and um, this guy come out, and it was like I didn't even really know him. Like, I was like, I think by that time I was eight, and like the ladies on the and on my landing, she there was a lady on my landing, and she was really nice. I used to get on with her and everything. We used to like go in her house, and it was quite like a little nice community thing. So he come about, and he was just different. I didn't know him but he had this different appeal to him like he would pick me up in cars like brand new bms at the time i didn't know they were stolen but he's picking me up in these cars and like it made me like gravitate and you know you just start idolizing it because he'd let you sit on his lap and drive a car he had a mobile phone my mum's behaving my mum's just that normal good lady she loves me dearly but he does all these things that's just you like wow it's like fascinating so yeah, it was it was good, kind of as a kid. And then I think first thing I see was the lights in his car one time, and he's picked me up, and like the lights have gone green, and the person behind bib, and he jumped out and he just battered him like, and I was like, that was when I was first amazed, the first bit of violence I seen, and uh, yeah, he beat him to a pulp, and like. What age is that? That's obviously imprinted in your brain. Now, yeah, isn't it? I can never forget it. I was, it was, I was like, wow. Um, I was about eight, seven, eight. Yeah. And um, around those sort of times, like, how were you doing at school and stuff like this? And like I said, what were your aspirations? Was it just the standard sort of the football and all this? I suppose uh, when people are eight or not, they don't really know what they yeah, want to do. Yeah, I, I just played football. You know, you just want to be a footballer, and like you're just out playing, like just climbing things or whatever. I had no real aspirations at them times. Like, but you weren't a bad kid or nothing like this, just a normal sort of high-degree nah, kid? Yeah, I was just just kid, like, play about, boisterous. Not, yeah. like, not not bad. Did you get um, spoiled being an only child by your mum and that? Yeah, sweet. I can't lie. Um, every Christmas and birthdays, my mum had me, man. Like, I, I, was, I was good. And I'm my only child. This is yeah. what happens to only children. They get yeah. spoiled, don't they? And, and even my nan... My, all my family on my mum's side, I had a tight relationship with, and I still do. And they they've always spoiled me. Like and I can't like like yeah, I've been looked after good, but I didn't have a relationship with my dad's side. He, when he come out, he used to take me to meet my cousins and like my nan and that. But yeah, it was for that for a period of like two years that was it, and then he just stopped coming about. So, really? Yeah. So was, was there anything that happened, or did you, did you just one day just stop coming yeah, around? Yeah, like... you just stopped coming. And I was asking my mum, like, where is he? And I was always asking her, and, like, it's getting annoyed, like, because I'd seen all these things that was, like, I idolised, I suppose. And then... She so started loving your dad and stuff like this. You had him around yeah, for a couple yeah. of years and all this sort of fantasy yeah. stuff and obviously exciting yeah. stuff. And we built up this, like, rapport, I suppose. He was doing things that my mum would never do. And, like, yeah. So, well, what happened? Did he get a family? He met a bird or something with a family, or did he go back to prison or something? Well, or my mum sat me down and she said, "Look, you got you're gonna have to." I was watching Fresh Prince of Bel Air, yeah, and I'll never forget because I, I love Fresh Prince. I still and, love it as well. <laughs> and I was stuff. sitting there watching it, and like she's like, "No, I got you. Got to watch the news." I'm like, "The news, man." I'm like, 10 years old this time." I'm like, "I ain't watching the news." Like, and she going, "No, no, Chris, you got to put." It. And she put it on, and I was like, "You know when you get like." Oh. And I'm watching it, and then my dad is going to prison, and he got like three life sentences, and 
Um, it was on the news, and then, Fuck. then like, that was it. She t- I turned it over, put fresh prints on, <laughs> and I didn't really deep it. Like I didn't, I didn't think about it and get get into reality then. But what happened after that was the neighbours started changing. Now this nice lady at the end of my landing is chasing me, calling me the M word, and. Fucking hell. Yeah. It must be fucking horrific for a nine, ten-year-old kid. Do you know what I mean? It was confusing. Like, why are you rejecting me, I feel like? I think then I I, I kind of understood what was happened when I was about 11, 12. You know, this has been going on. It's a crazy thing, obviously, for your mum to show you, but it's better to probably get out of the way then at that point there, and then it's there's no secrets. You're not going to get out and have someone else. At least you did it on her terms rather than have someone. A crazy thing to see your fucking dad on the news going to jail for fucking decades. 100%, and like I've obviously thought about that many times, and I feel like my mum did the right thing. She didn't want to keep secrets, and I believe like, there's, like she done what she thought was best at that time, and I, I, I stand by that. I, it was the best thing. I was, I'd be asking her, where is he? And like, at the end of the day, he's he's put her in that predicament, so the the, the accountability falls on him, in my opinion. Do you know, like, and yeah, my mum's decision. I stand on that. No, no, it's much better. I like my son's nine years old. I had certain conversations with him mm-hmm. last week actually, because someone said to me that you need to have these, so then he knows there's no secrets, and other people don't do it in their terms, and you can actually tell him about yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, it's a difficult thing to do, but sometimes it's the best thing to do. A hundred percent. And um. So like I said, your dad had come back into your life at like eight years old and then 10 years old, obviously he's not around for a little bit. Then your mum's showing you the news, obviously I'm guessing once the, yeah. the court case had come around and it was on the news as such. Yeah. And um, obviously you said it wasn't, didn't have like a massive effect it felt like at the time, but then it must have sunk in and there must be like sadness, anger and all this sort of stuff over. Yeah, I, and I feel like a lot of shame. And I feel like that, that, that built up in me and I, I went out in the streets and like, once I started, I was angry. I was angry. He'd been telling me police are bully boys when he's about, and I'm thinking that they've just bullied him. And I didn't like to be told what to do because my mum, she told me to do that. And then I kind of like, I don't know if it was a defence mechanism. Every time someone told me what to do, I'm like, well, that one hurt last time. So <laughs> I'm not really on that. And you try going into secondary school and all that and not listening to no one or thinking that being told that it was not, it was a recipe for disaster. Of course, but your dad had sort of the criminal anti-authoritarian mindset oh, of no one can't tell him nothing yeah, and yeah, he was, what he was, most people in. He was he was vicious, man, yeah. And obviously we don't need to touch on the details, but anyone who's going to get a triple F sense, so it was obviously a murder um, of some sort. No, he, he didn't, he didn't kill no one, but he still got three life sentences, yeah. Is yeah, it? Yeah, it, it was heinous, these crimes, I can't lie, but, and that's why I think I had a lot of shame, so, I ended up... That's the worst thing for... It's the, the family of the criminals can be victims as well as the actual the victims of the crime, can't they? And so, like, obviously, you're an innocent victim of your dad's criminality, weren't you? Yeah, I don't like to use that. I don't think it's anyone likes to use the that truth, term. It? But um, it definitely had an emotional effect on me. So that, yeah, it, it didn't impact me in a great way. And I, I was... I'm 38 now. We're talking 20, 25 years ago. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, it was more like suck it up, like you're a man. Do you know, there was no support them times. I didn't have no counselling, no talk. Just went into schools with anger issues and, and, and shame and like a lot of fear of not, the neighbours, I'm fear of rejection. I, I, I didn't understand everything and I feel like 
I went into society and school and everything with a total wrong mindset and emotionally unstable. And like I said, your mind, your mind must have gone peep tong. Your dad's gone away for this crazy amount of time. You're seeing it on the news. Everyone knows about it. It's crimes that you're embarrassed about and feeling ashamed about. On top of that, then you're suddenly getting people calling you the end name. So racism is brought into your world for the first time as yeah. well. Rubbish and, outdoors, yeah. and your mind must have just literally gone fucking sideways at that point. Um, yeah. And this is starting secondary school sort of time. So I yeah. bet it must have screwed up everything for you. I didn't I didn't last long in I went Enfield Chase first school. I, I got chucked out kind of thing. So well I got chucked out and then I went to another school in Hoddiston. I didn't last long there. My behaviour I'd I'd always like try and act up and be the class clown. I don't know if it was me trying to people please or what I was trying to do, but I would always just take the like, take it to another level with the teachers and not listen to what they tell me and Sometimes fights and just, yeah, I just was probably the disruptive kid in school, to be honest. Of course. Smoking, drinking, stuff like this? I didn't, I didn't start smoking till I was about 15. I started, like, smoking hash and that. It was hashed in times. That's how old I am. That's the same <laughs> yeah. fucking as madness. Yeah, I was showing some, my age with that one. Getting some weed was like... It was, it was all about hashed in times. Like, you just... Horrible smoking, hash as yeah, well. Yeah, horrible, man. I, wasn't even, I don't do no jokes now, but at the time, yeah, that's what it started with. Then we... And then obviously drinking, selling weed, and yeah, it just starts. It just starts spiraling because I I went into the like I said to you, I went into the streets and I had this anger, and my mum's condemning that, like behave, like that's not what you. And the streets are saying, yo, come here, man, like that embraces the anger. Come the here, anger, man, anger you're with works. us. Yeah. And even I remember one time the old older guy was like, he bad he badded up the lady that used to chase me, and like. Showed her that like, you can't fucking, and from then on, I was in with them because that lady couldn't touch me no more. And you, you know? loved that at that time. Yeah, of course. It's it's like you you embrace it, and then I was into a cycle. And oh. um, what about um? Did you finish your school at all? Secondary school? No, I got chucked out um the last year of my school. So you never got GCSE. no GCSEs or nothing. No, no. And um, and at that point, there was it sort of like I said in the streets, obviously drugs, selling drugs, yeah. and fucking about crimes. Well, by that time, we'd moved to, like, where my nan lives in Cheshunt, and my granddad was trying to get me into, like, painting and building and that with him. So it was kind of like, work with him, then do your stuff after. So I was was working. Did it half take you away from the shit for that little period of time, or not far enough? No, not really. Not far enough at that time? Yeah, not at all. Um, I would still go, I was in Chesham, but I was still hanging around with the same people from that infield. And yeah, it was just causing havoc in Chesham. But I did work consistently for a bit, but then I started falling off with that because you're making more money doing the dodgy stuff than you can make going to paint or whatever. Getting up at seven in the morning to go paint and it's fucking, after a while it don't work. Yeah, and you don't like it because you don't feel like, like... You're chasing this money, but also you're chasing this stature, ain't you? Like you're doing it because you feel like you want to become someone that actually you're not becoming anything, but you think you are. And um, yeah, I was just I end up pouring off the work and just going into just full time. Completely at relate it. and but <laughs> fully at it. Unfortunately, I did the same. And um, what about the first arrest or something like this? When did when was your first arrest? Did you get arrested during school times or anything? Yeah, I got arrested when I was about fourteen for for an assault. With, I had a fight with one of my friends, and we had a fight with some older guys. Um, I think it was like an ABH. But 
we, we got arrested and then it all got dropped. So yeah. that was the first time I was in a cell, I remember. And then they didn't charge us. So I was quite lucky. And then, yeah, then I got arrested at 15. Um, and then I got found guilty for that. And what was that for? <laughs> that was for uh, a burglary. Mm. And obviously during these times, I'm sure your mum was obviously massively against you about in the street stuff like this, but obviously boys, teenage boys are uncontrollable, especially without sort of was it the male figure in order to do it. Your male figures are in the street, older boys teaching you how to do the wrong things, I'm sure. Yeah, no, my mum had a partner from about 13, but like I didn't ever, we were, I probably pushed him away if anything, you know, like. Excuse. 13-year-old boy is quite hard to get into a 13-year-old boy's yeah. life at, my at, mind that, at was, that age. Yeah, and I wasn't really receptive to him, shall we say. Yeah. So, like I said, obviously for a couple of years, you did do a little bit of the work stuff like this when you first, what was it, between sort of 15 and 18 yeah. and stuff like this. Yeah. And then it was just full-time in the streets, and I'm sure stuff got more and more serious. Yes. Then, yeah, it did. And, like, I was involved with a lot of, like, fighting, a lot of fighting at 18, but some, like, it was through stages. I would do a bit of work and I would do, like, dodgy stuff, but the work, it wasn't, like, often, to be honest. So, yeah, we was doing a lot of fights and just stupid shit, like selling drugs. I remember one time um, we had some pills in a lockup, yeah, and I went to collect them, give this guy 5,000, and as I walked out of the bag, there was a police officer across there. They called me over, but I walked behind the van to go to them and put the bag under the van. As I'm walking to her, because she's calling me, like right near me, I was like, and she's like, where's the bag going? So I kind of run off, yeah, jumped in my friend's car. He drove off. Now these these pills, we was getting them from a pharmacy, yeah, and they had nothing in them that was illegal, they, but they get you like high, like, um, like real pills. Yeah. So fucking up a good little hustle. That no, thing, yeah, and they were really cheap. So what we did, like, we <laughs> this sounds crazy, but we went to Edmonton Police Station. We said, look, we've just been someone's just tried to rob us for um our pills. Just as police officers, they must have thought we was the world's dumbest criminals. They come down, swarmed us, took us into their cells, arrested us. They come back that they were dog worming tablets. Fuck so you know what happened? They give us the pills back and let us go. After, right? It was crazy. Like, fuck, he went and sold them anyway. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> and what, what age was this? Uh, like nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. 19. And did you ever get um? Caught up in the sort of the gang stuff, any of the postcode stuff, and no, stuff like this, or was it just money and criminality? It rather? weren't really, it weren't really happening when I was eighteen. We're talking twenty years ago. Yeah. It weren't really a thing like that. Um, I was just involved in like a lot of robbing dealers and running in people's houses that are dealers and taking jobs off there, and just literally, I just took Cheson as like an area that I've moved to that I have no respect for, and you know, what I do. So you thought it's soft coming from obviously where you yeah, come from, and, and stuff we just, like this. We just, set people up with bring drugs and then just set them up and take them and yeah a lot of just stupid shit to be honest like I know and I was always involved in like bikes I like I loved I had a passion for bikes and motorbikes crossers I always had a crosser or a motorbike I was like Bike. Always a biker. Yeah, like I do. What were you like? You wrecked, wrecked some bikes. You were one of these ones that I raced up and down the road, like yeah, wheelie in. Probably and like endos, no, no, no I, helmets on, just with shorts and no. <laughs> no, not that bad. But I would be like, I, I like to go and ride a crosser over the field, and do you know, go and do jumps and just, yeah, we'd we'd always have bikes. You're that guy. Yeah, I had bikes. And um, when was the first time you had any sort of uh, major 
police troubles sort of when you got in trouble and near scare or when you first went to jail? What age was that? Um, first time I went to jail, I was 20. Um, and it was for nothing, six weeks. Uh, but on the sweat box, you know, like you're getting on that bus and then you start unknowing. You're what going, was it for? Um, it was breach of an order. I refused to do uh, community service. They put me in prison for six weeks. Yeah, so obviously you weren't. Obviously, overly scared of going to prison then if you weren't turning up to community service. I, I, actually, I feel like once I was on that bus going in and the you gate shut behind you, us, you, I wish you'd gone to community yeah, service. Yeah, I felt the nerves, man. I'm not going to lie because. I think everyone must feel nerves, but obviously you didn't care enough prior to. But yeah, no, once you're on there, you're yeah, shitting you you shit yourself like anyone. Like anyone but there's knows. no consequential thinking when I was that age. Like, I didn't think, ah, oh, I didn't see the thing. Until like, it happens. It's just like I'm not going, I can't be asked. But when you're on that bus, you feel that, oh, what am I going into here? Who am I going to see? Where'd you get taken? It was Woodhill at the time. Woodhill? Yeah. Woodhill. That's going to be quite a serious journey, isn't it? Yeah, they had a, a like a YO wing. Yeah. Because I was only 20, so you go on a YO wing. Um, Her friends in there and that? Was, yeah, was straight, the, was, straight away. So yeah. the reality was nowhere near as bad as sort of fear of it. And that's, I went, that's the problem. That's the problem, yeah, like I said. It was a quick, short sentence. I've got, I didn't do no courses. That's what I tell people. The fear of it's so much worse than the reality. Not to say that the fucking reality of it's good, because it ain't, but fucking, sometimes you just need embrace that fear and don't fucking go down that path yeah well embrace it in things that are worth it not going to prison because you go in it's nothing you see meet people you meet other people you end up coming out with them short sentences you end up coming out more connected and oh. ready to go straight back out and do stuff to yeah. bag more people to do, yeah, and do stuff like, with. it's just there's no no courses no rehabilitation in a short sentence so unfortunately obviously it didn't put you off at all and just probably put you even more into that path having been around all these other sort of naughty well, young men who are doing that, worse than you. Knowing that that's the worst they've got, you come out and you're like, well... You've seen it now, you've seen the worst. Oh, that's the worst you've got for me. Like, it don't really sink in, I don't think. So, so you come out and that from there, 20 years old, and was there any sort of, trying any attempt to do any legit work or anything like that at that period when you come out there, or was it just uh, the criminality, or did it get the criminality get worse or anything like this? Were you more robbing dealers rather than selling drugs yourself? Um, when I when I come out, I I straight away went and picked up <laughs> that day, so, and started trying to build back my line. Like I had all my numbers, um, and that was it. I just jumped straight back on it that day. Hard stuff or garden or no, just a bit of sniff. I was getting rid of at the time. Stuff. Yeah, just as, I didn't ever do major, but I would do like a good ticket and build a good one. Nothing never serious because I don't know. I just I didn't. I, I never really wanted to get into the big bits. Um, I felt like you can earn good if you get a big ticket line. Hundred percent, I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was what I did. So the day you got out, you've got and picked up a load of food, and you're straight back to it at like a twenty years old. And twenty, I got out. Yeah, I was. 20, I turned twenty one in actually. Yeah. yeah. I was straight back at it. Um, but I was on a band, so I ended up buying a. And this was shot in in Cheshire. Chesson, yeah. Chesson, sorry, yeah. rather Chesson. than, I think obviously you've got all the links in Enfield and all this sort of stuff, then come and move the work in. Yeah, and they're right close, they're really close, I don't know if you know them, but they're close to each other, so. Did you have a good run at all, build up a good line and that? And well, I did for a bit, and then. Were you uh, using yourself and that, and like so, part of yourself? Uh, occasionally, very rarely, I think I tried it a few times, not not like, it wasn't. Uh, Smoking lots of weed and anything, weed smoker? Um. Yeah, sometimes depends. Like, 
Not, not so much. Again, not all the time. Not a habitual everyday user or nothing nah, like that. I have been in stages like that, but I wasn't then. And what were you into at that point there? Were you into your fitness and stuff like this? You training nah, a lot? What were you into? Nah. Just money and... And girls. Money and girls, so, yeah. Yeah, like, that was all it was. And going out and partying, I suppose. And just wasting money. That's all it was about for me. Like, I didn't have no purpose, no mission. Day to day and just like for instant gratification and obviously these... 100%. Yeah, and so like I said, you come out twenty-one years old, shopping tickets and that, and have a good run and that, like with it, make it obviously get money, yeah. stay out of trouble for a given period of time or quite a yeah, long period of time. Was, everything was good, but I was just party and enjoy myself, and then like live life, like just living day to day, not putting yeah. nothing away, not really nah, getting anywhere. Never life. thinking about the future, treading yeah. water. Yeah, and like I end up buying a bike to get around because I was on a van, so I was just shooting around on this R six that I bought. Were you quite low key with the shot and obviously and stuff like this then? So they weren't you weren't getting looked at or anything like this? Every every day no, not at that stage. Before that I used to always when I was driving about I'd always be getting pulled over, dragged out of the car and saying they smell weird. Like this would happen three, four times a day before I went to prison. All the time. But So the the Please had you in their head as a problem character. Uh, definitely in Hertfordshire, yeah. And in the Hertfordshire, obviously, there's a lot less crime, I'm sure, than Enfield, even though it's quite close, is it? Is it? Um, and so it's easier to stand out and if you're doing the wrong things to get a bit of a name around there, was it? With the police will obviously happen to you quite quickly. For sure, because I was always getting arrested um, for, for stupid shit, stuff that sometimes ain't even done. Yeah. Do you know, like, I've been convicted for crimes I ain't done just because of my previous. Of course. And so you got yourself the R6, like I said, while you're on a ban, get yourself a bike, crazy bike. Yeah. And so enjoying that, racing around. Yeah. Um, and then one night I was in a pub with my friends and there's two other friends and we're drinking. And like he gets a call from his girlfriend and like, um, from his, from the police, I mean, sorry. So he gets a call from the police and they say, oh, his girlfriend's been in a crash. So he goes shoots off and then gets the scene. She's dead and these little girls in the back seat. Crazy night. And then me and my other friend carried on drinking. And he, at the end of it, I said, I'm going home. And he was like, look, leave your bike, get a cab. And I was like, no, I'm driving it. And I ended up riding it. And went to see my friend, got to him. I was talking for a bit, dropped him, sank off. And then said, I'm going to go. As I pulled off straight away, police come behind me. So like, I just dropped the gear shot off up the high road, come to the bend way too fast in Chesant. And like, the bike started snaking, it threw me off. Um, I went through a fence, that four, three slats of wood, yeah? Two, four inch by four inch thick. I went straight through them, and that's where the arm took the impact. I went down into a 16 foot ditch. And um, my helmet even come off, it went, I don't even know where it went. I whacked my head on the back of the, on the wall as I dragged down, and then, I was laying in the stream looking up and this police officer that actually was a classmate at one point in Chesham was saying, don't move, it's worse than you think. Because I had an open fracture and then I was just in and out of consciousness. Fucking and, hell. Yeah. That's fucking crazy that it's fucking, your mate's bird had died in a car crash that fucking night and you drunk and bike and... It was, a, it was an absolutely crazy That's night. fucking... And that's why I never forget, obviously, the day. Yeah. It was crazy. And fucking hell, that's... Madness, and obviously it must have been so shocked, it just must be flashes that you could remember from it. Yeah, I was, I was remembering bits, because as I was laying in the stream, I kept thinking that that, that that was blood coming, but it was a stream, and I'm looking up, and as I was going in out, after I see him, then 
I remember the firemen lifting me up. They had like two ladders each side and they were lifting me in a stretcher. As I got to the top, all I remember is the police officer saying to me, I need these bloody Mervyn drinking, right? And like, <laughs> I'm nearly dead. I've got a fuck open fracture, punctured both lungs. Are you lungs. still conscious, like I said? In and out of consciousness, because I punctured both lungs and I couldn't breathe. And I was like, <gasps> like and I, it felt like I wasn't breathing. And all he was going on about is getting my blood. And I was going like, fuck off sort of thing, yeah. <laughs> and he took it. Um, and like, they was fighting for my life. Like I, like I said, I punctured both lungs, shattered my scapula, broke my pelvis, broke vertebrates in my back, pulled the nerves out of here for this arm, done nerve damage in my leg. And like had a massive head injury, and this guy wants my blood. Like, like they're saying, I'm going to survive. They they took me to Chase Farm. They wanted to airlift me to Royal Free, but it was too critical. So they, I was in, I come out of an injury. I put put into an induced coma. Come out two weeks later. Fucking hell! I had all my friends and family there, and I I just went like, oh, Billy, can you get me a drink? Because obviously I had pipes in my mouth. And everyone's crying because they got gathered round to see if... Did you make it? If Not, not if I was going to be brain damaged. So it was like, we're going to hang him out of the coma, but because of the head injury, we don't know the, the damage of his brain. So, and then, yeah, obviously when I went, give me a drink, they was all relieved. Fucking hell, what a miracle then that you actually fucking survived it all then. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so, you know, at the point where you've been in this coma for two weeks, have they done operations on you during that time and stuff like this? Yeah. Like, did you... Was you, did you still have your arm at that point there? And it's like, you had to make a decision yourself or they're taking your arm off or had it come off during the crash? Like No, so what happened was I woke up, it was there. They'd been working on it. Like they'd done that like 12-hour operation. Um, it was in pins and everything. But they, it, it stunk like rotten flesh, bro. It was like, it was just like... Dead. dead. It was dead, man. It was, it was, I didn't feel nothing. It was dead. It's just... Do you know when you... When you um, Woke up after two weeks in the coma. Did you know you'd been in like coma for two weeks? What was it? Did it feel like you just woke up? Well, yeah, everyone just told me. I just felt like I woke up. And, and, and you know, like when you first woke up, because you know at the initial moment you first wake up, just wake up and then it must have fought back, flashed back to the fucking motorbike crash and be like, oh my God, like what? Honestly, the first thing I've done was like, can you get me a drink, Billy? And then <laughs> that you, was it. And then you take it in your what, yeah. flashback and then... And then I feel like I, because I was on so much drugs, so much morphine, I was like higher, do you know what I mean? So it took the edge off big time. Uh, I, massively, but I feel like I did desensitise. I felt like I wasn't, do you know, I just wasn't there. It wasn't me in that in that moment. For for a while, while I laid in that bed, I was just like, it, it, it wasn't me. I was just taking myself away from it in a weird way. I can't explain that. It was just mentally like I wasn't part of this this crash for a bit. Do you know? Like yeah. I just took myself well, Especially away. when you're on those drugs and stuff like yeah, this as well. It was, it was crazy. And then like, what happened then in terms of like, did you have to make decisions for them to take your arm then at the thing? And obviously you're in a, obviously not in the right mindset. You've obviously just made decisions still, did you? Or did they tell you that there's nothing we can do to well, save your arm? Well, I think they left me about a week with this thing laying there. Bearing in mind, I'm on the bed. My legs are swollen up like balloons. I'm really skinny. I've lost loads of weight, but my legs are like balloons. I'm laying on this bed. I can't move. I'm having to do everything from yeah. there. Um, they're like, look. That must have been fucking horrific week then, isn't it? For, for a time, I was like that. That took a while. For the, I don't know what it was, but the legs just swelled up and I was laying there. And you couldn't move, obviously, this arm here. I couldn't move that. I could only move this arm. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I was just laying on a bed and obviously I wasn't eating. I was having to force like nutrients and yeah, letting me food, for, yeah, because I, I wouldn't eat. Um, and they come to me and they're like, Chris, look, 
it's, this has got sepsis because it was all open. We we can't do nothing. And it can kill you if you let it spread. That's exactly what they said to me. And I, and I was screaming. They're saying, look, sign it. You have to sign. We can't let you die. And I said, no, I'm not saying it. They said, if you don't, we're going to have to make your mum do it. And then that was like, how can I do that kind of moment? Like, And I signed it. And then they wheeled me down to the operating theatre. Obviously put me under anaesthetic or whatever it is, go sleep. And then come out and I've got no arm then. Fucking hell. Yeah. You've got no arm as well as all these other injuries. And how long was this after you come out of the coma then that you've ended up this happening then? About, I was in the coma for two weeks. Probably about two weeks later, they Fucking took my arm off. I was in hospital about five, six months. Fucking hell. Um, and <laughs> imagine the police are just coming to me saying, well, we're going to arrest you. <laughs> we're going to charge you for drink driving. I'm like, I said, I don't care. Like, I'm laughing now, but at the time I was like crying, like, fuck off, I don't care. Like, do you know what I mean? And then it just, what it went is, I just went into self-pity and blame, and then I felt guilt because it's only me to blame for this. And I was just a toxic person to be around at that time, depressed, it wasn't the word. Imagine, so those mums in the hospital, yeah. when you're there, five or six months, you're saying? Yeah. And they must have been... Horrific, because you're not getting much happening around you, and you just sat there with your thoughts, and it must have been some fucking dark, dark thoughts, like you're saying. Like, yeah, mate, suicidal. I can't lie. At the time, I felt so, so bad, and then my legs started to get better, but I was still in a wheelchair. I couldn't walk, and that started to come gradually, and I couldn't walk properly for like a year. Um, so, but the point where you got released, you got released in a wheelchair, was it? Yeah, I got released. Fucking hell, so you must have done some bad damage to I'll, all your body. Yeah, right? but I was still like crutches, wheelchair kind of thing, and braces. So I, I couldn't, I'd have to have braces. I still wasn't supposed to wear them now all the time, like on my feet. Um, but yeah, I'd, I was like a, a crutch with, with a brace. And, and who was looking um, after you, your mum? They, I, I, they got me a place. Um, and put me in there, and then yeah, people would come around and help me. But I wouldn't even for that two years. I, I wouldn't even come out the house, mate. Um, it must have been obviously just horrifically dark time for you then. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I, I I wasn't. I was. I was clinically depressed. I wasn't this depressed where it, it, it was. I wouldn't talk to anyone. Like that's real depression. Not no joke. Obviously. I would stay in my house, but people, my friends would come around, knock on the window, and I'd pretend I weren't in. That sort of depression. Just shut off from the world. Just no one. And then that was that for a period of two years, I was like that. Then it probably went to a stage where I'd have a smoke weed, play FIFA, because what happened was my friends would play a computer, and I'd look at them and sit there and be pissed because I used to be good at FIFA. And they're saying to me, my friend goes to me, try it, and I'll play you with one hand. And he played me, and, and like it was half decent game. And then we, I got a computer, started practicing, and before I knew it, I was actually beating people with one hand. And he's trying with two now, and he can't beat me. So I just sit there and play that and smoke weed for about. That was it for a while. So did that like slightly bring you having people around you? Did that slightly bring you out of? Nah. Or was smoking weed a bad it thing was, for it you? Was, it was a, it was a, a thing for me to just numb. The feelings, yeah. Like I just, tri just take my way, feel full off of it, and then distract myself with FIFA because it made me feel like I was good at something. Um, I never, yeah. It so this was about a two year period after the after the crash, yeah. Yeah. And then I started 
maybe drinking from getting that was another one. So I would, were you ex like going out for any walks or anything like this, getting any exercise or anything like this at all or not really? Well no, not really. I was overweight by that time. I put on loads of weight. Yeah. I, I just emotionally eating. Um and I'd maybe go out drink, but I couldn't go out without a prosthetic arm. Like I had this prosthetic arm and it just hung there and I was so insecure that if I I wouldn't be seen without it on, do you know? Like mm. I'd even sit in my house and have it on. It was just yeah, it was a bad time. But I did start going out in the end. But I was still depressed. Like I was just trying to mask it. Sometimes I'd even gamble. Like it was all things that could give me dopamine hits. Do you know what I mean? Dopamine hits and take away that feeling. But it was never lasting because I'll take drugs, drink, and then feel shit the next day, or gamble and lose my money. Like I was chasing things to make myself feel better, but really I was never ever getting to the root cause of the problem. Of course. And then did you end up? Um falling back into sort of the criminality sort of ways and stuff then obviously yeah. after a given period of time you fall back into obviously I'm sure you weren't robbing drug dealers at this time then was obviously selling drugs um, well I was I was in the middle of a council state where my cousin grew up from years um, and I I knew everyone on that state so eventually I did I met a girl and like she kind of said to me like what are you going to do you can't just you have to like get on something so i just started getting back into it and yeah we did start robbing people but this time now it's hard for me because i'm selling drugs again i started up again not massive obviously just tickets and that but what happened was is i'm extremely vulnerable now like and i'm aware of that like i'm at a disadvantage because you can tell from where i was before the people now it wasn't the same like they i just felt like people were trying to take the piss of it so it made me go extremely erratic in my behaviour because now I have to use something to show that like it can't be that way no more. So it didn't. Uh, it was counterproductive. Did you I start was, regularly carrying things with you? Yeah, I would say like I I would always have a weapon because I felt insecure in in that environment now because I got one arm and people still hate me because I used to rob them. I still had all these people that don't like me. They don't care that you lost an arm. In that environment, they don't give a fuck. They're happy. And you must have been obviously incredibly angry still and obviously depressed with what had happened and obviously you hadn't embraced it and obviously tried to address the trauma. This is this is the whole scenario. Yeah, it started from the adverse child experiences from my dad, seeing all this violence, then living it. And I've never dealt with the emotional turmoil I've had. I've always been driven by shame and that projects fear, that, that breeds fear and then I'm um, fear of rejection or fitting in and, and I would react in ways that is counterproductive to anything. Like I'm always defensive or argumentative because I'm bringing up some emotions in me and I never really understood all this. So when the arm happened, it just intensified everything. Plus now I need a weapon to live this life because I'm in a position where I'm <laughs> built to lose in that environment so I, it just, it just I was just doing crazy stuff yeah and I did even start doing robberies and I was <laughs> remember one time we went and done a robbery me and my friend and the guy it was setting up only for like a, a couple boxes of weed and then we're in his house he's ordered it because he's told him yeah the money's here while we're holding him in his house and then the guy comes 
we take the weed off him and we're running up the road with it, yeah. And my prosthetic arm is falling off. Like it was, what am I doing? Like, but at that time, I've, it was giving me that validation that I seek. Like you can still do this with that with one arm. It's not you're not. It's not over. But it was just projected in a total wrong way. If that makes sense. Of course, as like I said, there's not a lot of positive going on, and you're on a purely bad path at that time there. Yeah. And. Um... You end up having a bad incident shortly. When did you get the, the EDS? This was shortly after then. This point was yeah. It? So um, I, I had I had a worker that I'd known for years. He was running the tickets for me. I'd have the number there, and then I'd send him there, so I know what's happening. And then she, some guy, a girl. I've been up for two days on a bender with my friend, and then this um, girl rings me out and says she wants sink, and I tell him to go get it, but she says, "Oh, it's." He does it cheaper when I met him in a pub the other day. I'm like, what? And I told him to come around with what everything he's got so I can work out what's there. And then he was like, no, nah, I can't. And then I tried not to. In the end, he come. And he got heated. I got nicked for fool's imprisonment, black man, section 20. And yeah, then I was on remand straight away in Bedford because I'd been on remand before there a few times. Obviously, you don't need to go into the exact details of what happened or anything no. like this, but um, did he end up, obviously, a couple of days later getting released or whatever and then went to the police, or did the police get come to you while you actually had him at the time? Yeah, they come while he was there. Yes, they'd, obviously, people have reported him missing or whatever yeah. away, and they start looking, go yeah. through his phone and yeah. and come to you, grabbed you. Yeah, apparently, he, he called his mum from where he was stuck or something. But he said a lot of things that weren't true in his things, but... And so what did he be doing? Selling his own work on the line? Obviously. No, he was selling mine cheaper and keeping the money. This is what I mean. And this is what was, this is what brought up feelings of like, you're getting taken advantage of, you know, like, and that's what probably in my position, that's what made me react to. Obviously you've been on a two day bender. You didn't, obviously you had something in your head like, nah, no one takes a piss out of me. Do you know what I mean? hundred percent. I wasn't, I was definitely not thinking straight. Um, As like I said, you've been reminded to Bed. Where'd you say? Bedford. Bedford. Yeah, I've been there a few times. I'd had a, in between that. I've been reminded a couple of times as well. What a couple of close scares where you'd got off at, yeah. Yeah, I got reminded for an ABH um, and something else like a a fray or something like that, and they reminded me and not getting an order for that, like a a suspended sentence of eighteen months or something. But I've done six months on remand for it, and then yeah, they slapped me on remand for this. The first day I land there, my, my, my good friend's there. Um, so I get a phone and I'm just trying to see what's happening. Apparently this guy's not going to go to court and that. So I pled not guilty <laughs> all the way, thinking that he's not coming. Gets to trial. He gets forced there um, by police. Yeah. The second day, because he didn't turn up the first day. Says that He, he says that I take a lot of drugs, everything I... Everything I said, I don't remember. I don't think Chris did this. And they treated him as hostile and just read his statement to the jury. So he went and relieved him. He didn't have to stand up and then just read his statement. And how am I going to win? They bring up my previous. They found me guilty. Gave me a ten and a half year EDS at the time. So people who don't know what is EDS? It's an extended determinate sentence. It's the, it was it was bringing for the IPP to replace it. Yes, yeah, so when IPP got scrapped, which is... Yeah. So basically, that that gives you a release date, but they can hold you the whole ten and a half years. But if you get you get a parole two thirds in, 
But I didn't feel that because he, in his summing up, he said something like, oh, you'll serve five years, three months. But when I got to prison, they're saying you've got to serve seven. So on the appeal grounds, they, they reduced that for two years because of his summing up. And obviously when you got that sentence, it must have been a fucking horrific fucking time for you going through that trial and oh, being bad guiltier than the sentencing and that. Um, what I noticed is I'm projecting all this anger and uh, guilt and all this negativity, I'm going at it. And every time I'm saying them same things like life is shit, my arm, this, that, all this pity, all I'm attracting is more turmoil. Like it was all more like pain or suffering. Get to prison, I'm in the same situation I was on the road with the same emotions, same feelings, but now confined to a cell for the next five and a half yeah. years or whatever it was going to be. So nothing changed. And even then, my behaviour was terrible in prison. Like, from the barrister, he was saying to me, oh, the judge thinks you're like the most dangerous person in the, in the country with one arm because you haven't learned because of your disability. But I'm in the prison now, acting up, getting in trouble. I'm in the block for, for fighting and I'll get a 42-day good order and I'm sitting there out the window and I'm looking like... So you're still on madness in jail and fucking and I'm about... I'm like, what is this, like, living there? Like, I'm still depressed, still sad, still... Can't accept. How old are you at this point? About 24, 25 no, years old? Or? I got sentenced at 29. 29. So this was, yeah, yeah. So this was only fucking eight years ago or something like this, then, or yeah. nine years ago. Yeah. Fucking hell. Um, I went to prison about 29 yep. and got out of 35. And um, so, like you said, 36. initially, obviously, you got a sentence in the first few months, maybe you were in a fucking bad way and you weren't fixing anything. There must have been a point then where something's happened, a changing point in the prison sentence. Or after it, um, well, start doing courses, stop learning, stop meeting. What, yeah, what, what happened? happened? They they sent me from um, Bedford, shipped me out to Peterborough. That's where. And then Peterborough ended up shipping me to Loud on Grange. Now that's where it changes because that's a proper jail. Like it's a long term. Is everyone in there's got that, a lot of lifers. It's totally different to a local remand. Um, and at first, I didn't engage. Then after my appeal and it got reduced to eight and a half years, I said, I met some guy and he's like, Chris, where's your oasis? And this is like, a, do you know you know about oasis? It's like your score of what your risk is and yeah. how you can work to get it down. I didn't even know what it is. He showed me and it was high or very high. And he said, like, you, you're going to have to start doing work because otherwise you're never going to get DCAT and all this. And that time there, I only had two years before I could be in DCAT. Or, oh, sorry. That time there, I only had a year and a half before I could be in DCAT. So I just applied to do the resolve, got that. Then they reduced my category to C, went yep. to the mount. And then I was just trying to work. My goal was just trying to get DCAT, trying to get out as quick as possible. So, I'd, so you know you were on a positive path as such, even uh, if it was just to get out of jail. But yeah, you, that was... You were doing courses, the, the, you met someone, you got a little bit of a light when you've got a little bit, a couple of years off the centre yeah. and so then suddenly people, oh look, let's get out, like, try and work out ways. So at least you're thinking of put rather than on a... Well, once I'd done Resolve, it, it, did, it, it didn't it did cure me, I didn't think, but it made me Help understand you. my thoughts and so I had this focus of my target even in Resolve is to get to DCAT and I started reading PSIs and, and I really started understanding how the system works and that fact that Actually, having a disability, you can you're entitled to a bit more, and you can lean on them a bit more. And there's there's more rules they need to do for you. Um, so I got to see Cat in done seven months in there, and just stayed in heart. Got a good job, disability rep. Using your brain. Just just working through the system, man. Instead of fighting it, 
and got to Dika. And that was where, like, it's the promised land, isn't it? Like, <laughs> that's where everyone wants to go. And Which Dika were you? I was in full. Yeah. Um, and that's when I, I met I met a guy called Sam and he changed the trajectory of my life because he'd been to Harvard and the way he fought made me feel dumb. Like, he just saw things in a way I've never, ever looked at the life. Well, I'm sure if he's been to Harvard, it'd make most people yeah. feel dumb, right? No, he's, he's a very intelligent guy, but he obviously got, he was in prison, so he made mistakes, but the, probably the most intelligent guy I've ever met. He changed the way I fought, helped me. I showed him that I'd read a book. He said, you need to do more. Got me into reading. Um, really, like, encouraged me to better myself and showed me that and gave me hope that actually you can achieve all these things. And actually, Chris, you have such a, an, a, a, a different life and a, a way to turn that into a positive. You, wasn't, you didn't die that day. This is the things that you say. You didn't die that day for a reason. You're here to make sense of it. And... Just hearing them words, I feel like it was amazing for me. And I've had so many mentors since then. I still have them now that are wonderful. But he was the first one that changed me, that I got focused. He even said about this charity, Kirstner, who was doing a talk in the prison. And I went to see it. And the lady was really nice, the CEO, yeah? And I ripped to them and said, can I work at the prison from Ford? Knowing that they just had someone that's gone home. And they said, yeah. So I started working there after it got approved by the prison. And that was another thing. Like, I've changed my friends that I was around. I've been around, like, now I'm at a charity where it's all positive. They're trying to make you become, hit your goals. Um, yeah, and everything was just, I was just more focused. And then... Just real quick, pause, a massive shout-out to Sam then. Um, for instilling all that positive stuff. Like I said, you had lots of positive people, mentors and stuff like this in your life since. But it's that first one that turns you from negative to positive is the most profound out of anything, isn't it? And it's and the way he done it. It's like, I would never listen to anyone but him because I knew he was so clever and it just made me see things from a way like was dumb. Like, like I said, there's so many fucking idiots in the prison system but when you've got someone who's clearly fucking highly educated, you've got no choice but to listen. Listen to him, I was more for yourself. And, and thank Andrew, God you did. And Andrew was there. He used to help me with my Shout book as well. Shout out to Andrew. Andrew's yeah. such a man and proper yeah, gentleman. Andrew um, Pritchard, AP Foundation, he used to help me as well in Ford, write my book and give me advice because he'd written a book called Urban Smuggler. So, yeah, he used to help me as well. But, yeah, Sam was really probably the one I was closest to at that time. Mm. Um, well, like I said, you need people like this in order to change your path and your mindset. And, obviously, they did change yours. And so, like you said... Even before you got out, you were obviously applying to try and come back in and do work and trying to work with charities. So you, your mindset must have gone like full 360 at that point there to like... 100%. Then you, then you look at positive things and like look at what you could do and look at how you help and what you could do for yourself then. Yeah, and, and I got into fitness. Like I was around other people, my other friends like Dario and, and there's a lo loads like Charlie and they was always getting on to me about And it's training. been and this Yeah, and they was always getting on to me like you've been in jail three years and you, you're just... Still not, overweight then? Yeah, it's right? like you're, you're fat, bro. Like getting on to me in a way where it's like you need that boy friend like banter to say like come on man, fix up, we're all training you've got time and I just started running like, well first of all I started walking I couldn't even walk, couldn't even run I was that fat, yeah. I was like 108 kg. And that's without an arm. <laughs> and, I, and I just started walking around. Then I started running. And before I knew it, I was doing like a K. Then I ended up doing five Ks. And I just stripped. But it took me like three to six months. But I would write it down on my calendar. And at that time, I'd read a book and it was called The Secret. And I, I love The Secret. It's, it's a great book, but 
it don't, it says just envision yourself with abs, but obviously you need to put the work in otherwise it don't happen. But it get it got me thinking, and that was like that was the first book that started my my self help book, and I've read many since. But that was probably the first one, and yeah, so I started running. Then I, once I lost the weight, I started getting into a bit of training. And this must have done wonders for your mind at the same time. Um, obviously, the fitness is great and getting healthy is great. Looking. Great, but obviously your brain must be working a lot better, obviously, throughout this process as well. I can't explain to you like what fitness did for me. Like, so I was still depressed at that time, even though I was in prison before I started fitness. But when I started getting into fitness, that helped with the depression. I was getting mental clarity from it, I swear. like I kept doing this thing that I didn't like at first and continued to do it even though I didn't like it. And what I was building was that not only self-confidence in myself because I'm doing keeping my promises and commitments, but I built this discipline like that I'd probably never had in my whole life because I was so focused on losing this weight. And I done it. And once I like got to that stage, it's like, well, see that what discipline pays off. Like I lost five stone and losing that journey and to maintain it, the discipline that is involved in I created. I've never ever lost that, and that's part of my routine now. I have a strict routine, so I feel like prison probably helped with that because I got into fitness. Then I was like regiment with everything I've done because you're on a time scale, and and I've maintained that. That that's one thing that's like continued, and now I'm no longer depressed. I feel like I'm probably more happy and more confident in myself now than I ever was with two on. So cool. yeah, I feel. That was fitness was massive for me. It's massively inspiring. So how long were you in Ford then before you got released? And um, I was there 16 months. 16 months. Yeah. And so then getting released from there, um, where did you move to? Was it back to Cheshire? Back uh, to Enfield so, or? So that what happened was I didn't I didn't get released from there. I got I got um put in closed conditions. Why? <laughs> because of on the home leave I, I got caught drinking. <laughs> so then <laughs> How did uh, you get caught drinking? They'd, Tested you or something? No, I, the police, police rang the prison. I see the police in my area. Fuck and they rang the prison. It was crazy. So then I went back to closed conditions and then had my parole and they released me from the mount. The mount? Yeah. And then where we, where did you move to after then when you were released then and talk to so, us about your life from so there then? They put me at my mum's for a bit. Um, Which is Stevenage or was Yeah, it? Stevenage. I got out of that area. They released me to my mum's on a tracker. And so how old are you at this point now? Is this when you were 24, uh, 34 years old then? Yeah. 33, 34, 35? No, I got released 35, yeah. 35, yeah. Yeah, 35. But the thing is that what had happened is I got released, but I changed everything. Now I had a purpose. Were you in this shape then when you got released? Were you in as yeah, good shape as what I, you're in today? Yeah, I was, I was in good shape then when I got released. Um, Thinking I, positively? or 100%. I stayed focused. I was reading books still. I Still in touch with Sam? Yeah. Still in touch with Sam. I was meditating every morning. Um, I'd worked on my triggers and traumas and the things that happened in childhood. I'd now processed and now knew why I get this intense feeling. So, for example, like anyone that knows me, when I would lose, I was the worst loser. So I'd get so defensive, so angry, and like I'd want to fight you over losing. Like I'd get, I don't know, it was bringing up these emotions. And what I noticed is that. That shame or that feeling, and not I was putting my validation on that win. So every time I lose, it was bringing up this shame, and then I yeah. try to be like, "Oh, we play again," or be horrible, or whatever it was, tear you down. That, and I've worked on all these, and I'm still obviously it's still a process, but I'm in a position where now I control my emotions, and like 
I know why things trigger me and being in that position, consciously aware of it, is why I can control it now. So I'd worked on all that fitness and then I got released. And the, the meditation, did you start doing that prior to getting released as well? Yeah. And I how started, did that come into your life? Did you read a book on it or did someone tell you to try and... Every self-help book I read, they talk about breath work or meditation and um, how it does this and does that. But for me, what it did is it stopped well, it didn't stop, but it slowed down the thoughts. Like, it gave me a bit more clarity and made me more calm. So just doing that for half an hour, working on your breath. When I have a conversation with someone now, I feel like where I am focused on my breath all the time and, and doing meditation, I can be more engaged in the conversation because before, because of PTSD, I'm always, like, hypervigilant. And I might be talking to you, but, like, I'm scanning. I feel like... Meditation has helped me to have better conversations and better connections. Hundred percent, yeah, I can relate. I've been there with thoughts going too fast yeah. and stuff like this, and it takes you all the look takes you out of the moment, doesn't it? And so it's impossible to enjoy the moment properly and embrace it. Yeah, 100%. when your brain's all over the place. And um, obviously, you said the exercise and forward started with you walking and then running and stuff like this. But then, obviously, did you start doing weights and stuff like yeah. that in there? And like, who helped you and taught you? Did you like? Think or was it just all natural the way you picked it up and stuff no, like no. this? Um, my friend Dario and staff they they taught me like I was so naive, yeah. I didn't know nothing about carbs, <laughs> nothing about uh, no macros. I knew nothing, I knew nothing. Um, I didn't understand carbs, fats, and proteins, and and all that. And I would just eat what tastes good. <laughs> and they they just taught me about like dieting and gave me two routines and they'd adapt any training to suit me. So like, instead of doing, obviously, proper deadly, I'll do a sumo one or if I'm doing squats, I do it on the Smith machine. Uh, or if I'm doing chess, I've got this, I didn't have it then, but like they'd put cables and try and, it was all, we'd all adapt how we could to help me get into the training. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, wicked and it's obviously massively inspiring. And so then talk to us about obviously getting released then, 35 years old, Stevenage, obviously not being around Stevenage before your mum's out there. Nice to obviously be out of the area away from all temptations. Obviously, at this point, you sound like you changed your mindset massively anyway after five and a half years away. Yeah. And um, what were your plans and goals and what did you want to do initially when you first came out then? Um, so I knew that I wanted to use my trauma and understanding of how like 80% of prisoners have been through childhood trauma and how I'd processed it and how I'd overcome it to help people to not channel it in the wrong way. Brilliant. So just by, I linked up with Sam and we, we was gonna do like, and we've still been working, it's, that's the thing about it, like you come out and it's slow, it's not, and that's the hardest part of it because we're used to getting money like that, yeah? But anything that's worthwhile, it, it takes time. Man. 100%. Having that patience and that persistence while others are thriving and you're broke, is the hardest part of turning your life around, in I'm my not, opinion. I know, I'm there. Right yeah, now. so so um, I was around Sam and he was helping me. I ended up getting my own place. And yeah, then I've just been with Andrew as well. And I've written, got my book to a better level. I've written a book about my whole life story, which can be an example. I've also written a self-help book that is like a practical guide of how... I overcome trauma and the offending. So just the steps that I've used to do it. So hopefully that can help people. I'm now doing like 
public speaking. Incredible. And I'm starting to do podcasts like this. And How did you get into public speaking? Um, when you've got a story, you see, it kind of finds you. Um, through Kersler, they, they were the first people that, because when I come out, yeah, again, they gave me a mentor, Kersler Arts, gave me a mentor um, called Nicola. She was fantastic. I still talk to her now. And she basically mentored me up to the stage where I had to do a first speaker, um, South Bank. And, and talk yeah. to us about that and how difficult it was, how oh nervous you were, and about how rewarding it was after. Oh my God, I was petrified. Because the thing about what I find, yeah, is that we can be in front of killers on the wing, yeah, that have done serious crimes or like murders, whatever it is, and have jokes and take the piss out of each other and have banter. But you put me in a room or put a camera on me where I'm around academics or people are watching me and I'm the, I'm the centre of attention. I used to just crumble, and I don't understand why we've got all this bravery in in the wrong. Well, this time we've obviously been raised, it's, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and these educated people and, and smart people can feel vulnerable as anything. Hundred percent, and I had to get my head around that. Boy, you you've got value here. Like, stop stop hiding behind or thinking that you ain't enough in this room. You're here, and they're here to listen to you. And that's what they were teaching me: give me training, doing improv classes, and then. Um, <laughs> then we we went and I've done this talk and it went really well and it, and now I've done a few I've got another feeling one after it must have been obviously the most, one of the most oh, rewarded uh, things in the world I was petrified but I, after everyone's coming up to me like asking me questions like uh, yeah and it was just like it, it validated that belief that I had to change and I think it's because I've done so much bad do you think good people don't want to have you around but um that's not the case. Yeah, of course. I see you put up a Instagram post in your story. It's like today or yesterday, and it's it was, it was a little saying, but it's more about that kind of imposter syndrome where you feel like you're not really in the right place, and you've got to embrace it, haven't you? Yeah, hundred percent. Because it's about just understanding your value. I feel like I think a lot of people get, it, especially when you're public speaking, you 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 feel like that people are going to judge you, or you might get rejected, and. Of you're standing there. I think especially, that's the thing, is the fear of rejection. 100%, especially when everyone. you're coming from this lifestyle, of, and you're talking to people that don't understand that life. It's like, oh, they might judge, they might not. And you just have to get out of that. You're, they're here to listen to you, and you have value to bring to this audience. And that's how I think, that's how I tackle it. And um, something else, obviously, you said you had this prosthetic arm on um, mm. before you had jail, and obviously when you went in there. And at what point did you end up taking that off and obviously not feeling like you needed that anymore? I never wore it in jail at all unless it was a visit ever from the start since I went in there because it just hangs there it's just for a thing and, and why I, did you wear it on a visit then? I don't know because pub people in the public I used to wear it in a visit Yeah. and by the time I got even when I started the ch working at that charity I would go there with it and then in the end I just stopped wearing it but when you were out you started even you wearing that, it no when I was going from DECA okay. I was still wearing it and like in the end, I just said, no, like, I don't like it. I hate it. It's uncomfortable. And I'm pretending to have something I haven't got. And once I started feeling secure in myself, I just stopped wearing it. And for me, it was like accepting that I've got one arm, embracing my vulnerability, and then just accepting my weaknesses or, or what people may perceive and, and knowing your, your insecurities or, or your flaws and just embracing them and just like, just being authentic self and not well, look, caring. Like I said, I take my hat off to you for that. That all seems like it's part of the journey in embracing yourself. And like the reason why you lost your arm is your strength now rather than your weakness and the journey that you've been on since. And the story you can tell, there's no point 
sort of like hiding because it's the opposite of what you are, isn't it? So. Yes, they say sometimes your worst nightmare, your bit, you know, your, they say sometimes your biggest gift comes disguised as your worst nightmare. And yeah. I definitely feel that like this has been a thing that has changed me, like in a way where now I'm in a position where I accept it, not only embrace it, like I used to hate it. I wouldn't come out for two years with it. Now I, I, I'm, I'm been modeling for an agency to show that actually incredible i love this person i've become although it wasn't by choice but now i'm in a position where i no longer care what others think and i'm the validation comes from within now that's all i can really say of course and like you said um the person you were in the past the person you are today it just seems like full 360 and obviously fit healthy positive and obviously super motivated and obviously Somebody who obviously sticks to a very strict routine as well. Do you want to tell us about that and how that helps you? Yeah, like I, I wake up at 4.30 every morning. Everyone, when I say this, they laugh at me, but I wake up 4.30 every morning. I put my phone on the other side of the room just to get me to get out of the bed. Then I'll have a drink of water next to the phone. So I know that then I'm going to wake straight up. It's like I have to do that to get myself awake. Then I'll just go and meditate for half an hour. Um, have oats or sometimes I might not depending on how I feel. Sometimes I like to train fasted. Then I'll go to the gym, hit me there from like half, five, six, two hours, get back before eight. And then long sessions then you do there? Yeah, I do. I do push-pull legs twice a week and have one day rest. Then I'll, I'll come back and I'll start work and like whatever I've got to do that day, if I've got to go and prepare a speech, if I've got to do some emails, whatever it is I'm doing that day, I just get on it. Like, And I feel like for me, I have to have that, like that structure. I need to do it. Yeah. Even the other day, I took four days off to because my body was knackered and it was horrible. Like I just lost composure. Like I lost direction. And it, for me, it was just, yeah, I need that structure in my life every day. Of course. And um, obviously, talk to us about your goals now for the future now that you're on such a great path now. Um, what are your goals? Well, yeah, so my, my goal is like, to help people in prison, and I'm working with a Andrew Pritchard. Yes, the, the AP, AP Foundation. Foundation. Links will be below, guys. Go and check him out. Like I said, he's the most positive guy doing such great things, and he's and he's been there for me since from prison till now. He's a proper genuine guy. And he's helped me a lot as well. Like so I've been through troubles the last couple of years, and he's helped me. And he's always got time. He's just a proper man. Yeah, he's a lovely guy. So we're going to create a course to help people that have suffered trauma and. That is linked to offending. I guess there's people in the prison or when they come out. Well, that's what we're working on. We might want because it takes a lot. You have to get psychologists involved. So we're gonna be working maybe in prison and out of prison. And obviously, it takes a long time to get it. Obviously, it's got to have checks and go through boards and stuff like this before. Then one prison before that it could be nationally. It takes a long, long time. But also, I've written a self-help book, like I said to you. So it's just a practical guide of what I've done to get over it. Also, and I'd like a ghostwriter or publisher to help me. Anyone out there? He thinks they can help Chris get in touch with him. All his links will be below as well. Yeah. So um, get in touch with him. And, and I've also written a 70,000 uh, 70, word uh, autobiography. Again, it needs a structural edit. Um, but that's just about my journey. But what about the, the Kersley? You still do, is, if I pronounced that correctly, is it the Kersley Trust? You still doing a lot of work with them? Sorry, Kersley Arts are just uh, funded um, professional public speaking training for me. And I will be going into prisons for them to do talks uh, soon, actually. That will be starting soon. I'll also be working at the exhibition there in November. Um, 
because they've got a, a yearly exhibition of prisoners' artworks, and I'll be giving tours to people and and talks there at that at the South Bank. Um, and obviously you're in great shape today, clearly. Um, do you play any sports or anything like this? Are you using your physique and to jump into any sports or anything? You should be if you're not. No, no, I do. I just I just do fitness um, and do a lot of body training and I do a lot of cardio. Um, it's for me that fitness has just been everything. I think without the fitness, I wouldn't have the discipline, the motivation. Um, losing the weight and maintaining it is, I can't express like how important fitness is because I used to be, and I'll, I'll give you pictures how big I used to be, yeah. and to lose it, it instilled that discipline and that filters out in everything. Um, it helped me mindset. Like I was clinically depressed, like I said to you, I no longer take depression tablets. Like it's really, it, it's it's the, it's the everything. It's the driving force for everything for me. So fucked up as something that could be such a horrific thing in your life could be a changing point in your life as well because obviously you're living in a negative life it seemed like in most regards instant gratification day-to-day living not for much purpose as such mm. and obviously you've had such a horrific thing happen to you then you've turned your life around while in prison and doing such positive stuff now like obviously it's impossible to look at something like that as a positive but your life has completely changed since then um and like how's your perspective changed on life's from now compared to obviously what it was 10 years ago. Um, you seem like obviously, I'm sure your perspective's changing a lot and you're a lot more positive in the way you look at things now to what you were then. 100%. Um, like, I can't really explain the, the transformation because people, like, if you were to know me before, you, would be, you wouldn't be able to believe the person I've changed to. And that's all from just a lot of reflection, a lot of introspection, a lot of understanding what's causing these problems and how to cure it you know like you, the healing process is ongoing like but to get your emotions in control get focus through fitness have a purpose that's bigger than you and just yeah just try to i just try to tip the balance to help people more help more people than i've done upset you know like of course just want to change that narrative it's incredible and so what advice would you give to anyone who's obviously been through something horrific in their life face a lot of adversity like what you did um would it be similar to what you just said there to try and get into fitness or try and do something to try and think better and then um i see a lot of youngsters i talk to now they they lack they lack purpose um and if you say to them define success to me they say like it's always monetary so it'd be like i want to be this i want to have this much money i'm going to do this and i feel like you need to just change that narrative a bit and maybe focus change the narrative of monetary because yeah everyone wants to be financially free but when you come from a life that we do and then you say all right cool i want to be free and you come out you haven't got the patience to have this monetary gain so it always ends up down a slippery path so maybe focus success in something different and some and try to be intentional with who you hang around with because Without the right people, for me, I wouldn't have changed the trajectory of my life. So I would say that's important as well. But like, how do you define success is important? Because if it's always monetary, you're going to be going in, into a, a negative path, you know? Because it's the patience and persistence, which I don't, I, did, I had to work on. Of course, not a pure path. And another thing, obviously, like I said, you're super motivated. How do you maintain that motivation 
and that drive is that through the meditation and the training and the just obviously I feel like yeah fitness keeps me disciplined motivation I feel like has an expiry date like I'll give you an example like I can be motivated to go to the gym because there's a girl in there I like yeah but that girl turns up with her boyfriend that motivation's gone like motivation has has a has an expiry date but discipline is what you need and that, that discipline you have to just keep doing the things you don't like and then discipline comes like I don't, I don't, motivation for me just fades away sometimes. Like, I'm not always motivated, but I'm always disciplined. So, yeah, no, that's important. That's what it's about. So, like anyone, you must have days you wake up and can't be fun, but obviously you just go and do it regardless. Because yeah, they're the days you have to go. And they're the most important days for your mind. 100%. Mom. When it's easy, it's easy, but when it's hard, that's when you have to do it. Because, and what's the alternative? Like, start doing crime again. Like, but who wants to be in prison, man? Like, I'm never going back to prison. So, I just stay focused on the goals and fitness is probably what drives me to keep motivated on what I want to achieve. Indeed, like I said, it's absolutely incredible, inspiring story. And so like I said, hopefully people can look out and see your books coming out in the next year or so. So hopefully there might be a autobiography and a self-help book coming out. Yeah, and we're going to be creating a course, like I said, but also I'm doing talks. I've got, um, I'm doing talks for girls, but also like I do talks on my journey or resilience and grit uh, using my experience to just hopefully motivate or inspire people to... Of course, it's a massive inspiration, isn't it? You, yeah. Like I said, it's um, massively inspired me and I know it massively inspired anyone who listens to your story. And so like I said, your aspirations then over the next few years then are just be sharing your story, helping people who've been in difficult places. Yeah. My goal is to just change, like, to, well, if you was to say, what's your core vision? It would be to reduce recidivism, I would say, yeah. So reduce what? Recidivism, like, to reduce crime, yeah. What's that word? Recidiv recidivism. Fucking hell, no, you did read that dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> it's just someone that continuously engages in crime, yeah. And, uh, but basically, to reduce that and, well, reduce it that is driven by adverse childhood experiences. So... I'll say it again, to reduce recidivism that's driven by childhood, adverse childhood experiences and trauma. Because I believe that that is what, once you fix that, then you have a, you're in a position. Because most people were making, and me, myself, used to make unconscious reactions to traumas that I wasn't aware why I was triggered. So I would react to what's been said to me in the moment, but that wasn't the real reason I'm feeling like this. That's, that's only triggering something that's happened years ago. But majority of people don't ain't aware of their traumas and the triggers and are reacting. And that's why 80% of prisoners in the UK have had adverse childhood experiences. So I want to hopefully create something that just gives them that curiosity to say, actually, that's what happened to me. And then, because no one's going to want to talk about childhood trauma, but if they can just see, oh, this happens to your brain, this is why I can't regulate emotions, this is why I engage in risk-taking behaviours, or this is why I use substance misuse to um, coping mechanisms, it's then we can make them curious to do their own introspection and healing. Because it, while you're in that trauma, you, you can't really stop the reactions you have unless, unless you're consciously aware of it. And I just want people to maybe, or prisons to do more work on that than doing the work on the drugs and the alcohol when you're not dealing with the root cause of the alcohol and drugs. So, of course. Well, like I said, um, prisons aren't there to sort of help people. They're just there to punish people. So the people have to sort of take it on upon themselves to 
start embracing their emotions and looking at the trauma that's happened to them because otherwise you'll never get off that path. 100%. And like I said, I think we're not in a country that's a third world country, we're in a country that's lots of opportunities. So if you're committing crimes on a fucking everyday basis, that's what you, clearly there probably is something there. And I'd agree with you, it's probably 80, 85, if not higher. Anyone who's constantly committing crime on that cycle, they've clearly got something that's not quite put together correctly, have they? Yeah, no, 100%. And I'd take that, I don't say that about people, I take that myself as well in the past. So. Yeah, and, and I'm going off statistics that I've read, like studies, that people, there's 80% of prisoners that have had adverse childhood experiences. If you're a professional criminal, someone who's continuously committing crime, rather than the one-time thing where you punch someone on a night out, if you're constantly doing and making these bad decisions, there's something in it, because we're in a country where you don't need to be doing this sort of stuff, and you're making the road. On the path a lot harder for yourself but yeah you can leave them and the fact is you can go to prison they won't even ask you about it i think that they should make a compulsory like ace test as you go in so then they can get the figures better and then they can work out and mm. i feel like there could be more done about it there's like you said as time goes on and it moves away and a lot of these private sort of things it's i think it makes it even more difficult but hopefully people like the ap foundation obviously to try to help yeah, the yeah. offenders um to obviously embrace their traumas and then hopefully address them and then obviously change their mindset moving forwards. 100%. And um, that's the narrative we're going to be chasing and trying to change. Well, like I said, this absolutely incredible story. I fully take my hat off to you. Well done for the way you turn things around. Absolutely incredible and massively inspiring and no disabilities held you back in any sort of way and you sort of seem like you're doing tenfold more than anyone else through it and it's ended up giving you an added motivation and driving life. So, um, yeah, massively well done. Um, what are your social media handles for anyone who sort of wants to reach out to you, um, um, Chris? Chris double underscore Baker, double underscore, I think. And what are you on? You're just on Insta, are you on I'm TikTok, on, Facebook, yeah, Insta, LinkedIn? Yeah, TikTok, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, yeah, everything. So guys, all of those descriptions will be uh, below, in the, all the links will be in, in the description box below uh, this video. And is there any sort of final message or any sort of thank yous that you want to give to anyone? Um, Chris? Well, thank you to all my mentors. Um, there's so many to name, but they know who they are. Um, also, thank you to AP Foundation. They've helped me. Thank you to Cursor Arts, Inside Out Project. Um, Greg, I didn't even mention him. He's been helping me as well. Um, there's just so many people that have helped, and there's good things out there for people that need it. So it's just reaching out and, and getting involved. And be, be if you're coming out, just be patient, man. That's it. Just get used to being not flying like everyone and just take your time and just and just have patience because if you work the right way you can't then otherwise anything quick is going to end back in prison Cutches why not have everything fresh dough Italian tomato sauce 100% mozzarella and unlimited toppings? All fast fired for 180 seconds, you can hardly go wrong. Fireway Pizza, delivered straight to your door. Fireway Pizza, design, fire, eat. And for a 20% discount, use your KRMTV20 discount code. Link in description, guys.